In the spirit of reconciliation, Myloma Australia acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to My Conversations, Myloma Australia's podcast series. These podcasts are written and produced by our Myloma support nurses for people living with myeloma, their family and friends. We aim to deliver interesting and up-to-date information on myeloma in a portable and convenient way through our podcast shows. Welcome everyone to this episode of My Conversations, a Myeloma Australia podcast. My name is Hayley Beer and I'm Manager of Nursing Programs and Services at Myeloma Australia and I'm very pleased to be your host today. This is part two of a two-part series where I'm pleased to be joined by Lauren Atkins from Encore Nutrition. It's so great to be back Hayley, looking forward to talking more about nutrition and myeloma. Thanks Lauren. Do you have any guidance on people that are looking for um to explore our complementary medicines and, and the safest way to, I guess, either start that journey or continue that journey if they're already on it? Yeah, really, really good question. There's some really great resources out there. Um, happy to provide some links, but one is by Memorial Sloan Kettering which is a cancer center based in the US, which have put together a really useful database on complementary therapies and herbal supplements. And they provide the facts around what these supplements can and can't do and any potential interactions. That's a really, really great place to start. But I think like you alluded to, Hayley, having a really transparent, open communication with your treating team is really key too. Because yes, we absolutely first want to do no harm. But secondly, if there is a potential that something might help you feel better, tolerate treatment better, manage some side effects in some way and not cause any challenges, then we'd be so happy to support you in doing that in a safe way. Um, but the other side of the story is you don't know what you don't know. And there might be some literature or research out there that says, actually, this isn't the best thing for you to be taking at the moment. And I'm going to give you an example of um, antioxidants. So things like vitamin C, which is a really common supplement that's taken by the general population, but particularly those who are having cancer treatment. Antioxidants are very, very good at repairing cell damage. That's why we love them. They repair our cells from any damage that unfortunately happens day to day. Now, when you're having myeloma treatment, we are actively trying to damage your cells. And so there is the theoretical risk that these antioxidants might block or reduce the impact of the anti-cancer treatment that's trying to damage your cells. And so while I'm all for antioxidants in, in the normal sense in everyday life, I would always encourage you to reduce your intake of high-dose antioxidants for two days before and two days after your chemotherapy cycle because we want to give the chemo its absolute best chance of doing its job and then we'll use the antioxidants in between cycles to help repair your cells. 
Excellent advice. And there is actually evidence with one of the more common treatments for myeloma, bortezomib or Valcade. Um, we know that green tea and high doses of vitamin C do negate the effect of bortezomib yep. or Valcade. Mm. That's exactly right. And we, we know that bortezomib is useful. So let's give it every chance to do its job. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you. Um, now, the other guy, I guess, in addition to food, fluid is also a very important part mm -hmm. of keeping us healthy and well. And us as clinicians are always telling our patients, you must drink two to three litres of water a day. And sometimes that's easier said than done, or mo most often it's easier said than done. Um, do you have any um, guidance on ways to help get that fluid intake in? Or maybe there might be situations where it's advised not to have um, so much fluid. Yeah, really good questions. And look, I can't tell you how many people go, oh, I'm not drinking enough. I'm just not drinking enough. And they put their hand up. They're all, they completely agree. Um, but it's hard. It's absolutely challenging. And first thing I'd like everyone to do is to whip out their phone or their calculator. No one's got a calculator, but I'm pretty sure everyone's got a phone if they're listening to this podcast and open their calculator app and type in your body weight in kilograms and times it by 35. And what that's going to give you is your estimated daily fluid need, the 35 mils per kilogram of body weight per day. That's a pretty safe baseline to work off. So for many people, that's going to sit somewhere between two and three liters a day. But once you've got your number, it's a little bit more meaningful to work towards that. Because someone who weighs 50 kilos needs less fluid than someone who weighs 90 kilos. And so let's work to what your body needs. Now, certainly there are times where drinking is very important and more likely to serve you very well than the other times. And so during and after chemotherapy, the days of and the days following, one or two days post, I always encourage people to really work as best as you can to reach that target. And you'll know you get pumped full of fluid when you're having chemo and equally important that we keep hydrated throughout and afterwards to make sure that we clear that chemo from our system and keep our kidneys, our liver, all of our organs working really well through that. Now, it can be super hard to drink enough particularly when you're tired, you're being made to eat all the time as well. Um, so a few little tips, one being to drink your nutrients. So kill two birds with one stone and look to things like soups and smoothies. Because if you can eat and drink at the same time, you've just saved yourself a task. So Talk to your dietitian, get some soup and smoothie recipes that you would enjoy and that would suit your nutritional needs. Another really useful thing to do is what I call anchoring your fluid intake. And what I mean by that is try and link drinking to things that you already do routinely every day. A good example might be brushing your teeth. So I know most people brush their teeth morning and night. And so what I often encourage people to do is, right, once you've brushed your teeth, I want you to drink a cup of water. Done. There's one cup done. And you know that you're going to do it every morning and every night. 
So there's 500 meals. Well done. There might be other moments in your day. It could be when you are going to get the mail. It could be when you are sitting down for lunch. It could be when you're taking your medications. If there are particular time points in the day that you can use as a reminder system to drink, please do that because it takes some of the pressure and strain off you having to remember yourself. And the third recommendation is get a drink bottle that you actually really like. Now, Haley, you see me on screen. I love mm-hmm. my drink bottle. Take it with me everywhere. But I, and I only drink lots from it because I really like it. And so find one you like so that you want to bring it with you and it will entice you to drink more. I guess one other bonus suggestion is make your fluids interesting. So we often harp on about water, but there's no reason you couldn't add some lemon, some mint, some um, cold water herbal infusion tea bag, something to spruce up your water intake, uh, ideally without adding additional sugar or sweetness if we can. And is that where the miracle fruit might come and help with Mm. those problems with taste changes? Yeah, miracle fruit's very interesting. So um, for those who haven't heard of miracle fruit, it's a berry that's native to Africa um, and grown harvested here in Australia in uh, warmer climates, so often up north. And the reason it's called miracle fruit is not so much because it is a miracle, um, but because the active ingredient in miracle fruit is called miraculin. And what miraculin does is it's a really clever glycoprotein that can bind to our taste buds and change the way we perceive things, perceive taste. So what it does is it alters our taste buds from receiving things that actually normally taste sour and instead it makes them seem sweet. So it's really clever. I don't know if you've ever tried it, Hayley. No, um, I haven't. I'll have to get you some. It's uh, fascinating. Uh, you, you have a, a raw lemon and then you have miracle fruit and the raw lemon all of a sudden tastes like lemonade. Wow. Or the sour cream tastes like cream with sugar. Um, it's very bizarre. It's like mm. being in a Heston Blumenthal restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, some very small studies, nothing nothing major has been undertaken looking at the research behind this, but um, it has been shown that people had improved taste for certain foods uh, after using miracle fruit. So it only lasts about 20 minutes to an hour or so. Um, But if you're someone who's struggling with bitter or sour or metallic tasting foods, it could be worth a try, Um, particularly if you get it in a whole food freeze-dried um, product, uh, which you can get from certain growers here in Australia. And again, just not having too much of it because being a berry, being a fruit, it is rich in antioxidants. It's wonderful. It's great to know that there's something out there that can help because that is such a big challenge um, for people that do experience taste changes. Okay. Thanks, Lauren. Time to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment. At Myeloma Australia, we have a wide range of resources covering all aspects of living with myeloma. Head to the resources page on our website at www.myeloma.org.au 
or contact Head Office to order your copy on 03 9428 You will also find us on social media. You can give us a like and a follow on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Welcome back. My name is Hayley Beer and I'm speaking with Lauren Atkins, all things nutrition and myeloma. And also something that's been quite a hot topic recently is a healthy gut environment. So taking prebiotics or probiotics um, as part of uh, supporting, I guess, their uh, healthy gut. Do you have any advice on, on the safe way or what the evidence is around the gut microbiome? Yeah, such a growing area of research and so fascinating. Um, there's the equivalent number of bacteria in the human body as there is in something like 3 trillion toilet bowls. Wow. There's more stars in the, there's more bacteria in the human body than there are stars in the galaxy in one human body. It's crazy. There's so mm, many. Amazing. And so it's such an opportunity to harness our health and um, certainly in the context of hematology, there's growing research that particular strains of bacteria can be useful to improve our gut health and therefore our overall health. Um, what's very important in the context of myeloma, though, is that probiotics are bacteria. And what that means is that if you are neutropenic or have low neutrophils or a low immune system, like we spoke about before, and therefore you're vulnerable to bacterial infections, it's actually really important to avoid probiotics because what we don't want to do is introduce bacteria into your body if your body's not primed to deal with that and recognize it as, as foreign or as safe. So the recommendation that I really want to get through is that if you are neutropenic, please don't take probiotics. If you are not neutropenic, then it could be worthwhile exploring particular probiotic strains. And another element to be mindful of is that taking probiotics is taking the bacteria that live in our gut. So you take a capsule, it's got live bacteria in it, and you swallow it and it goes down your stomach into your intestines. And that bacteria, in theory, will set up shop in your bacteria, in your gut and live there happily. Because the bacteria in your gut, the profile of those microorganisms is as unique to you as your fingerprint is, we don't know if one type or strain of bacteria is going to live happily in my gut if the same would live happily in your gut, Haley, because we're all very unique. And so it's one thing to take the bacteria itself and hope it wants to set up shop in your gut. But another thing you can do is take what we call prebiotics. Prebiotics are the food or the fuel that feed the probiotic bacteria. And so what you can do is eat certain foods that our bacteria like to feast off. And what that means, Haley, is that I could feed the bacteria that naturally live in my gut and you could feed the bacteria that naturally live in your gut. And it's a little bit more precise to what your body naturally needs. And so prebiotics are found in, uh, prebiotic fibers are found in foods, including legumes, 
the skins and seeds of fruits and vegetables, things like artichokes, asparagus are really rich in prebiotics, and whole grains. So things like oats, barley, quinoa, chia seeds, they're all um, really great sources of prebiotic fiber. Another good trick actually is potatoes. If you cook a potato and then let it cool down before you eat it, so for example, potato salad, that potato becomes really rich in resistant starch, which is a type of prebiotic fiber that fuels your gut bacteria. Right. So far safer to do that than it is to take a probiotic tablet if you're neutropenic. Yeah, and I guess it comes back again to where we started with that basic, going back to basics and having real, uh, real food, I guess, almost going back to, you know, caveman type um, diet. Yeah, look, whole food first. And unfortunately, a lot of that sort of common messaging is really boring. It's <laughs> eat, eat whole plant-based foods and include quality, lean sources of protein, lots of whole grains, lots of fruits and vegetables, um, nothing hugely profound. It's the additional one percenters that we can absolutely tailor to you and your unique needs, um, including some of those complementary therapies. But if you get your baseline right, you're in a really good position. And on that note, Lauren, would you advise people to try and get organic produce if they can? Or is, is yeah, does it really matter? Yeah, that's a really good question too and often hotly debated. <clears throat> and what we know is that organic produce, uh, although that there, are, there is some evidence certainly that the nutritional content of organic produce in some cases is greater. Um, it also contains fewer levels of chemicals and um, and related, I guess, inorganic compounds. We, if we look at studies long term on human health, although there's slightly higher nutritional content of anti of um, organic produce, the actual impact that that has on disease risk is less clear. We look at the profile of someone who takes or chooses organic produce. They're often of a higher socioeconomic status, so they've got more money, they can afford it, they're well-educated, they go to the gym, they go and see their doctor, they get their health screens, they get their health checks, they understand the value of good nutrition because they've gone through school and learnt about it. So it's very hard to say if it's the organic food that improves their health or if it's actually just the profile of those types of people who are in a position to be able to eat organic produce. And a lot of literature shows that there's actually no difference in cancer risk in those who eat organic produce and those who don't. And so the moral of the story, in my perspective, is if it's within your means to choose organic and you enjoy it, go for it. If it's not, then my recommendation would be to eat lots and lots of plant-based whole foods and not worry about whether or not it's organic. Because what we know is that whole plant-based foods, lots of fruits and veggies, lots of whole grains, we know that improves our health. 
whether or not it's organic doesn't matter because we know that that makes a big difference. Yeah, that's great. Excellent advice. And I think um, helps to alleviate some of that stress that some people feel that they need to try and source um, the most mm. pure organic form of their food. And for sure, I, I guess, um, you know, it's amazing all the um, guidance and evidence-based information you've provided today is, is so helpful, but I'm sure people out there listening to this will be thinking, oh, how do I get to speak to someone like Lauren? I know sometimes dietitians in hospitals are not always easily accessible due to, you know, lack of funding or provisions within, um, depending on which part of the hospital you're being treated through and, and where, you're, where you're sitting physically and your health status. Mm-hmm. How do you um, advise, you know, is there a way that people can get some access to expertise from someone like yourself in the community? Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, Hayley, I've been there. I've been in the hospital system very, very recently and, and I appreciate those resource challenges. It's not through lack of desire. All the dietitians want to see everyone, but unfortunately there are um, you know, only a certain amount of time and energy that can go there. First and foremost, absolutely ask to see the dietitian at your treating hospital. Um, but certainly there are some amazing dietitians that work out in the community that Uh, have expertise in oncology nutrition that can support you and what one thing I want to highlight is that the world cancer research fund recommends that everyone with a cancer diagnosis past or present should receive nutritional care from a trained professional so in Australia an APD or an accredited practicing dietitian it's really worthwhile finding someone to uh, act in your corner to help you wade through some of this information that's out there, often misinformation, and tailor something that's really meaningful to you, your unique needs, your diagnosis, your treatment, and your goals. And you can do that through the Dietitians Association of Australia or Dietitians Australia website. You can use their search function to find a dietitian with experience in oncology in your local area. It's very likely that you will all be eligible for something called a chronic disease management plan or a care plan from your GP, which would entitle you to Medicare rebates on up to five consultations with a dietitian or other allied health professionals. So that's where where you might be able to spend a few sessions with a dietitian, a few sessions with an EP or exercise physiologist or a physio, and just really set yourself up to um, jumpstart some of those goals that you're looking to achieve. In terms of um, myself and my team at Encore, I've got a group of oncology dietitians who would be so delighted to support anyone with any questions they've got. We do offer free 15-minute phone consultations. So if you've got a few burning questions or just need a little bit of support with something, by all means, please reach out via email or our website or contact me directly. I'd be so happy to help. Um, we operate out of Victoria, so we've got five clinic locations across Victoria, mostly in Melbourne, but also in Torquay, and lots of telehealth. As you can imagine, COVID has meant that um, we do lots of video consultations, which is a blessing in that we can provide support to people anywhere in Australia, which has been really wonderful. Yeah, I think that's a fabulous service you provide, Lauren, because there will be people listening that live in um, 
you know, very small towns or regional rural areas of Australia where the, a dietitian may not be present or easily mm. accessible. So to know that they can get in touch with you and we can put the link to your website in the notes for this um, episode so that people can find you. Um, Lauren's also has her podcast, um, Encore Nutrition, Two Peas in a Podcast. You can um, have a, and lots of fantastic topics um, to, that she goes into further depth uh, there. And she's also featured in the spring edition of My News magazine or her company, Encore Nutrition, um, is. So um, thanks, Lauren, so much for your time um, in this podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to you and I'm sure that everybody um, that's listening to this today will feel the same. Um, and, yes, we just really appreciate you giving us your time and expertise. Thank you so much. That's my absolute pleasure. And any questions, please sing out. Um, there's lots of information out there and if you need some support figuring it all out I'd be delighted to help and Hayley it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me thanks Lauren thanks for listening to this episode of my conversations we'd love to hear from you so send us your questions or topic ideas to our email address nurses at myloma.org.au. Whilst the advice and opinions of our guests is welcomed, this podcast provides general information and is not intended to replace medical care or the advice of your treating team. Please talk to your doctor if you have any questions about your diagnosis or treatment. Your doctor can answer your questions, talk with you about your treatment goals and provide you with extra support. Mm -hmm.